Hi, I'm Suparna Goswami, Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Fox, who is an expert in compliance, risk governance, and corporate governance. He's also the author of several books on compliance, including The Year in Corporate FCPA Enforcement, Cardinal and Prompted. We will talk about the hot topic going on in the compliance space now. Drug maker Novartis are going to pay over a billion dollars for fraudulent and corrupt practices. Tom, welcome to the discussion today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Tom, uh, my first question to you is just to give some context to our audience. Please tell our audience briefly a bit about yourself and your work in the anti-fraud space. I've been working in the anti-corruption, anti-fraud uh, uh, risk space now for a little over 10 years. I began in this space as an in-house lawyer, general counsel and compliance officer. I later moved uh, outside to my own private practice. And now I write uh, extensively around anti-fraud and anti-corruption issues literally across the globe. Great. So Tom, coming back to the Novartis topic, uh, in our previous conversation, you had mentioned that some of the schemes used by Novartis in Greece have several important aspects for compliance professionals. What are some important takebacks for compliance professionals from this incident? So if I could give a little background into the Novartis uh, worldwide corruption action, literally in the space of five days, the United States Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission announced two enforcement actions against Novartis. One was for violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which applies outside of the United States. A second was for violations of what's called the False Claims Act that was inside the United States. Some of the bribery schemes were similar, but some were different. And every compliance practitioner should study both of these actions because although, as you mentioned, it was over a billion dollars in fines. Uh, there were some very key uh, bribery schemes used that uh, I don't think we have seen before. And compliance practitioners can always learn from other companies' uh, missteps around anti-fraud and anti-corruption. Great. So what, were, what are some of these uh, important takebacks according to you for the practitioners out there? Sure. So if I could start uh, outside the United States, with the violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. There was a couple of uh, schemes that uh, we saw, we haven't previously seen, but in Greece was the country where most of the corrupt actions and fraudulent actions occurred. And here we saw three key bribery schemes. One was uh, to pay doctors to go to international conferences. Uh, these payments were around uh, $7,000 US per trip first-class travel, first-class hotels, uh, attendance at conferences. Sometimes they would speak, sometimes not. That was number one. Number two, and I found this very interesting in the era of social media, where we have the term influencers. And I'm sure uh, just as in the United States, we have the Kardashians and others in India, you would have key influencers in social media. Well, here, Novartis identified key influencers in the healthcare industry. So doctors, hospitals, uh, medical commentators, and others that had a lot of influence, and they specifically targeted those individuals. There were payments made to those individuals, and they were also sent to key international conferences, but here the payments were uh, even more uh, 
or higher than uh, with the regular doctors. So we saw payments of $9,000 to $10,000 per trip for the key influencers. And the third one is one, if I could maybe take a little more time to talk about, because it has several interesting aspects. And this was, uh, it's called the Exactly Scheme. And what Novartis was doing was testing uh, a new pharmaceutical product. And then uh, they would test it internally. Uh, then they would move to other forms of testing. And the final step before it is approved for use is called phase four. And in phase four, test subjects, uh, physicians would actually prescribe the medicine on a test basis to their own patients, and then they would report the results. And it was uh, a wide variety of information. That information plus the effects of the drugs on the patients would then all be literally written down in a form and sent to Novartis. And you have thousands of these, so they're trying to get as much information as you can. And that, once again, is an absolutely uh, uh, appropriate and indeed mandatory part of any drug approval process. But what Novartis did is somehow that phase four program morphed or changed, and it changed into a way to simply pay doctors. Uh, and the uh, Novartis sales representatives went so far as to tell the doctors, just put anything in, and if you can't think of any information to put in the forms, we'll fill out the forms. And it was a way to pay the doctors for uh, information that looked like it was valuable and a part of a legitimate process. The significance of that for the compliance practitioner is simply because you've approved a program that's legal and within the compliance of your own company's regulations doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Uh, in the military, the phrase is mission creep. And here we had compliance creep. Uh, because somehow this completely legitimate phase four testing protocol became a mechanism by which bribes were paid to doctors. So, uh, Tom, uh, the Novartis fraud, as you said, took place in multiple countries, right? So the incident shows deficiencies in their compliance program, in their compliance function. In fact, I remember you had mentioned in a previous conversation that one of the schemes uh, show how a legitimate program, which might have passed as a compliance, which you just mentioned, uh, morphed into something very different. So how can you have tools or uh, program, uh, policies in place that ensures nothing like this uh, happens? So let's take the key influencers or even the original program where doctors were paid to go to international conferences. That was called the investment plan. And here, a compliance practitioner does not need anything new or different, because if we could stay with Novartis, the Novartis business team and marketing team tracked the sales of doctors who were sent to these conferences. So if a doctor was a high prescribing a Novartis, uh, of Novartis's products, uh, he got to go to more international conferences. Conversely, if their prescriptions dropped off, they didn't get to go to conferences at least at the uh, all expense paid trip by Novartis. So you had the marketing team and the business development team tracking the doctors who were prescribing Novartis products at a very high amount. So that is the information that's available to every compliance practitioner. It's within the company. Uh, you're not going outside the company. You're not utilizing a new tool. You're not having to spend money to get new software. But the Novartis compliance function did not have access to that information. If they had, they could have then said, these are our top 10 
doctors in Greece prescribing Novartis products. Let's see how many conferences we sent them to. And if it turns out they'd received literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to conferences, then you know you have a problem and then you take a deeper dive. But the Novartis compliance function did not have access to that information and was not able to do this basic data analytics approach of tying the high prescribing physicians to payments by the companies. So Tom, this is essentially then a failure of the compliance team, right? That they did not even ask for such information from the uh, marketing team. Well, it's unclear to me if it was a failure of the compliance team or the compliance team did not have access to the data, but whatever the answer is, uh, it led to this catastrophic uh, fraud action. And that's what corruption is, is fraud. So fraud action against Novartis. And if I could say a few words about Novartis inside the United States, it was only worse. Uh, and here Novartis paid over $700 million in fines and penalties. They defrauded the federal government for, from the same uh, basically paying doctors. But in the United States, it was paying doctors not to go to conferences, but it was paying doctors to go to dinners. And they would allegedly have the doctors speak about Novartis products at the dinners, but of course they never did. And the dinners were supposed to be for groups of physicians, but it quickly became the doctors and their wives, or perhaps the doctors and their husbands. So what were some unique aspects of the compliance obligation placed on Novartis US by the regulators? So this was really interesting because um, inside the United States, once again, because of it was a false act claim, the uh, US Office of Inspector General got involved and they, uh, Novartis signed a settlement agreement with them called a Corporate Integrity Agreement or a CIA. Under the Corporate Integrity Agreement, Novartis senior management uh, had to annually certify, excuse me, on a quarterly basis certify that the compliance function is uh, effective and functioning. Uh, now, the way it works in the United States is you have a lower level person certify it, that goes to their manager and it goes up the chain. But the person at the top of the chain is equally responsible because they have to sign his or her name to it and they are attesting that their program is effective. They, uh, but the uh, CIA or Corporate Integrity Agreement had a number of people specifically listed who had to quarterly certify and on an annual basis certify. And if those certifications were false, those people are now subject to personal criminal liability. And that's a very high incentive for people to comply with the law. Okay. And as I uh, understand, the U.S. corruption action was significantly larger than the uh, FCPA action, right? What yes. were some of the compliance failures that you see? So the compliance failures, once again, they had the same failure they had, in, for instance, in Greece by not correlating the amount of money spent on the uh, doctors who were prescribing Novartis products. But uh, they also had a failure. They had <clears throat> a failure of oversight that each dinner was supposed to be pre-approved by the compliance function. And they simply did not have enough people to do so. At one point, there was one compliance person at Novartis US that later expanded to four or five, but they were getting hundreds of requests a week for the, to approve these dinners. And then finally, 
after the dinners were approved, you would have auditing or testing, ongoing monitoring, we would call it. None of the dinners were reviewed after they occurred to see who was present, wives and physicians or husbands and physicians, what was the subject of the medical talk. Obviously, there was no paper or PowerPoint or podcast for them to look at. And then what was the spend? Was it below the acceptable level? And the, the a level of pre-approval granted to physicians, excuse me, for these dinners was $125 a person. Well, if you turn in a $3,000 dinner tab, when you have four people at $125, you immediately know something's wrong. So there was no uh, auditing after the fact to see if the people were, the Novartis business persons were. And the final question to you, Tom, uh, what lessons uh, can other companies learn from this incident? What changes, if you had to suggest a company, okay, these are the changes that you need to bring in in your team, what would those be given the backdrop of the Novartis incident? Um, the biggest change I would see is the use of data analytics. And we talked about that in terms of the spending amount in Greece on doctors. Uh, and we talked about that in terms of the U.S. and the False Claims Act. You have to be able to correlate if someone is a customer of yours and they're buying a lot of your products, you have to ask the question, why? Are they being uh, fraudulently paid? Are they being bribed to purchase your products? Well, here... They were being bribed to um, prescribe Novartis drugs. And that's really the most basic lesson that if someone had looked at any data analytics, and when you tie that into what the Department of Justice has just told us literally within the past six weeks about the importance of data analytics, I think that's the most important message for the compliance function going forward. And where do you think companies are missing the mark when it comes to leveraging data analytics? What are, the, what are some common mistakes they're making? So the, the most common mistake is that the compliance function does not have access to the data. Uh, every corporation measures who sells their products. Every corporation measures doctors that prescribe their drugs, every pharmaceutical company. The data is there. It's within the corporation's own data lake. But companies, uh, uh, compliance functions simply don't have access to that data. So the key is, and this is the Department of Justice's message, is that the compliance function must have access uh, to that data. And then from there, then utilize data analytics or, or specific software tools to help analyze it. But if you don't have access to the data, it, it all falls apart. Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for the wonderful discussion on Novartis and what companies can learn from this incident. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You were listening to Thomas Fox for ISMG. This is Superna Post. Thank you for watching.